we're in our series called Afterglow. And an afterglow is a glow that remains even after a light is gone. So we see something this week that's absolutely fascinating, where we see Jesus actually, the glow that remains after Jesus is gone is actually brighter because he is left than had it been him staying. He actually says, it's better for you that I go. Now, how could that be? How could it be that it's better for us that Jesus leave? I mean, isn't it, wouldn't it be better for us for him to stay? He calls us his friend, so he stays the whole time, and he's just here, and we're going out to dinner. And because Jesus is here with us, and he's our friend, we say, Jesus, do you want to go out to dinner? And he says, yeah, we're friends. Let's go out to dinner. And so we go out to dinner with Jesus, and which is pretty awesome, and you order a steak, and you order it well done because you don't like the way I mean, you're ruining the steak, by the way. You order it well done. There's all these juices and flavors, but you order it well done. But the problem is, it comes rare. And Je by the way, Jesus was like, I can't believe you just ordered that steak well done. I mean, you've ruined it. But you, or you order it well done, but it comes rare. And you're like, oh, man, my steak is rare. But then you remember, oh, Jesus is here. So you say, Jesus, can you make fire come down from heaven and cook my steak up a little bit? And he says, yeah, I'm here. Of course I can do that. And it happens, and your steak is well done, and you've just ruined the steak, and Jesus knows it too. And he's kind of shaking his head at you. Or, you know, you go out on the boat, and the boat breaks down. And you're like, oh, man, our boat broke down. But then you remember, oh, Jesus is with us. You say, hey, Jesus, let's do that walk on water thing. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm here with you. We're friends. Let's do it. So you just kind of walk across the water up to land. It's, Jesus is here. It's awesome. Wouldn't that be way better? And Jesus says, no. And here's why. Because by him leaving, he sends us someone who makes us come alive in a way that's completely different had he stayed so that's what we're going to look at today. He sends us the Holy Spirit. Today's all about the Holy Spirit who makes us come alive. So look, we're going to see how. We're in John 16. I'm going to read verse 4 through 15. This is Jesus talking. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me where you're going, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they, they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So there's a saying that says, I need to see it to believe it. And what Jesus has just done here is he's basically taken that statement 
crumbled it up and thrown it away. What he's saying is you need something more than seeing me. You need something more than seeing my miracles. You need, because your eyes will always deceive you. What you need is the Holy Spirit. This is why you can meet somebody that's been in the church all of their life. They have all signs, well, they have some signs of being a Christian. They come to church, you know, twice a month, and they've been committed But something happens to them. They finally hear the good news of Christianity, and they hear it like they haven't heard it before. And all of a sudden, they start changing. They start acting differently. They start treating people differently. Because what has happened is the Spirit has shown them the beauties of Christianity in a way that they could not have discovered on their own own. They're hearing it the way it's meant to be heard. Look, we live in a culture where most people would say, yeah, I believe that there's a God. And a lot of people would say, yes, I I would call myself a Christian. But to be a Christian is not just to wear this Christianity badge. It's to come. To be a Christian means you have just come alive in a way that you weren't before. And here's the thing, you can't make your, if you are dead, you cannot make yourself alive. You need the Holy Spirit to come and do that to you. And when that happens, here's what happens, you begin to change, you're not controlled by money anymore, you're not controlled by the approval of people anymore, you're not controlled by this like want for comfort, for this lust for power this having control, you don't have to have it anymore. And, and, G, and God starts doing things in your life and you're like, that's fine. Do whatever you want in my life. And you start loving people in ways that you had not loved before and your generosity turns up to 10. What changed? Why all this change? Because something that you heard all your life finally became real to you. Not this, uh, this truth that you hang your hat on for political reasons or for cultural reasons, but because Christianity has finally become real to you. So you think the Spirit does things to you. So, so let me give you this example. So you go to the beach, you go and you look at, look at the ocean, you hear the waves crashing, you're smelling the salt in the air, and you're like, man, this is awesome. This looks beautiful. The sun is rising. This is amazing. But here's what the Spirit does to you. All, you see all of that. You hear all of that. But instead of saying, man, this is beautiful, you say, wow, look at what God has created for us. Here's what happens. The Holy Spirit takes creation and allows you to see the creator through the creation. And you begin to see his beauty through what he's created. Or this, you hear a song. And you hear a good song, and you get excited, and you want to dance. Some of you guys aren't good dancers. I'm not a good dancer, but we all want to dance to some degree if we hear a good song. We might not do it because we don't feel like we're good dancers, but we kind of want to. Well, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit makes you hear a song, and you say, whoa, I want to dance for the joy of a God who's 
created music so we can dance to it. It's completely different. Somehow, someway, the Spirit is making every single thing point you back to God to see Him. It makes every truth point to Him. And then what happens? So you start seeing Him more, and you start seeing things as He would see them. And so you start looking at people now. And you look at people the way He would see people. And you start loving them in ways differently than you had before because you're seeing them as he does. I mean, come on, let's admit it. We want to love people more and what we need to do that is the spirit of God in us. The spirit turns on the light to truth that makes things more vivid. So uh, Mark Warner made this and he's not here today. And I didn't tell him he was going to do this. So you could tell him that you saw this and he's going to be like, what are you talking about? So Mark Warner made this. He gave it to me a couple months ago. And this is, a, this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. And I, lo- I love this scene because it's showing the, the humanity of Christ, but it's also showing his divinity all at the same time. Now, this is a cool thing, but look at what it does. Yeah, it's beautiful. Now, here's what just happened. The light has shown you things that you had not seen before. And that's exactly what the Spirit does. The Spirit is allowing us to see things in a way we had not seen before. You know when you watch a movie, and that movie's kind of portraying that life is short, and it's important, life is important, but it's short, and you see this movie, and the first thing you want to go do is you want to go find the people that you love, and you just want to wrap them up, and you just want to spend time with them. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. The Holy Spirit is making showing you reality in a way that you had not seen before. The Spirit gives you a new way to see, gives you the reality of a truth, and the Spirit shows us God. So you want to come alive? You need the Holy Spirit. All right, so so listen, 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 guys. The Holy Spirit does three things. First, convicts you of sin. Second, convicts you of righteousness. And third, convicts you of judgment. So we're going to talk about what this means. Sin, righteousness, judgment. Now, first sin. And by the way, guys, so it's Super Bowl Sunday. We don't have a lot of people here. You guys are being a little dull right now. And because of that, it's affecting me right now. So I just want you to, like, pick it up a little bit. Like, at least do thank you for that, whoever did that. Woo-hoo. <laughs> um, so we would... So let's look at this. Convict you of sin. We would all agree, I think, that we don't love people fully like we should. And we would all agree that there are things that we know we shouldn't do, but we keep doing them over and over and over again. And the Bible would call that sin, but that's not what this verse is talking about. What it's saying is that verse 9 is that it's convicting you of your sin, but you're the, the, at the heart of that, the problem is that you don't believe in Christ. So here's what this is saying. You see your sin, but you don't realize how bad it is. You don't realize how bad you are. And the Holy Spirit's trying to convict you of it. See, because here's what would happen. If you really knew how bad you were, you would stop trying to fix yourself. And if you stop trying to fix yourself, what you'd finally do is to say, man, 
I need a rescuer. And as soon as you say you need a rescuer, you start looking for one. And that's when you find Christ. Or better yet, the Spirit has convicted you so that Christ would find you. So you start reaching for a rescuer. And then you finally find him. And that's what it means to believe in him, to reach for a rescuer. Not just to believe with your mind that Christianity is true, because I'll tell you this, our Bible verse talks about the, the ruler of this world talking about that it's Satan, and Satan believes in Christianity. So this is not just about our mind, this is about a giving ourselves over to God because of what he's done for us. So he's convicting us that we need a rescuer. And that never happens if the Spirit doesn't light up our sin. So here's what you've got to grasp. There's two traps that we fall into if, we're, if the Holy Spirit is not teaching us this. There's two traps. First trap is that we think, okay, I see my sin. I've got to find a way to atone for all these sins that I have. And so we start trying to be good. We try to be good and good and good as a way to atone, as a way to make up for all the things that we've done wrong. So that's the first trap. Second trap is that we say, I'm failing in trying to be good, so I'm going to try something different. I'm going to suffer under the weight of my own self-hatred over my sin. That way, if I suffer enough, that could be an atonement for my sins. That could be a way for me to make up for my sins. So let's look at the first one. We try to do enough good things to make up for the things that we do wrong. So um, when I was... When I had just started working at my previous church, um, I was at a music fest in Fort Pierce, and I saw someone that I knew from high school. And it's always fun when I see somebody that I knew from high school, and kind of we have this exchange like, oh, hey, what are you doing? So I'm talking to my friend from high school, and, and I say, oh, well, yeah, I'm working at a church now. And it's always kind of this funny thing like, oh, you work, you work at a church? Yeah, I work at a church, and then it's kind of like this, this, okay, really? Yes, I work at a church. It's not that weird. Well, yeah, it's kind of weird. No, it's not that weird, and so we kind of have this thing, and so once we get through all of that, um, the conversation always shifts to kind of spiritual things, and so he said to me, you know, I would go to church more if there was a way that I could atone for all my sins, he said, if there was a way for me to just not sit there and just stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down, because nothing gets accomplished by that. If there was a way that I could go and help people, then I would go to church because then I could atone. These are his words. I could atone for all the things that I've done wrong. Now, what the Holy Spirit is trying to show us is that we are too far gone to try to atone for the things that we have done wrong. We can't make up for what we've done. And even if we do, here's what happens. Even if we do, we say, okay, I need to make up for all the th stuff I've done wrong. And so we go and help somebody. But listen, we're not actually doing that for them. We're doing it for us because we say, ah, I've done stuff wrong. I've got to atone for my sins. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go help someone. But actually what we're doing is we're not serving them. We're serving ourselves because we're trying to atone for all the stuff that we've done wrong. So we say, man, if I could do enough good stuff, then God's going to be cool with me. So that's one mistake that we make. And, and some of us probably have not realized how bad we are. 
You don't really think you need a savior. You're like, I can fix, I can fix what I've done. If I could do enough good stuff. Maybe that's why you're here, as a way to atone for your sins. The other, so that's the first make. Here's the other mistake we make, is we say, I can't make up for my sins by doing good. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to suffer under the weight of my own self-hatred to punish myself enough so that then I could atone for these sins. So one of my professors talked about uh, his friend's kid who every time he would do something wrong, he did a spanking. So, but here's what would happen to him. So he'd do something wrong. He was all bummed out about it. This kid was all bummed out about it. He'd get a spanking, and after the spanking, he was happy. Like, everything was good. As soon as he got the spanking, he was like, okay, I'm good. And what his parents noticed is he kept doing this, and he was actually happier after he got the spanking than before. And they're like, what's going on? Well, what he was doing was he was finding a way to atone in his own way for all the stuff that he had done wrong. And as soon as he gets punished for it, then he's happy again. And so his parents stopped spanking him. And this kid actually was like, no, but I did this wrong. I need a spanking. And his parents were like, no, we're not going to give you a spanking. And he started begging for it because he actually felt better after he got spanking. Now, if a kid could do this, if a kid could subconsciously think all this stuff up in his mind, then I'm pretty sure that we could do that too. So here's how I think it probably goes for a lot of us. We feel guilty for some type of sin. And so we need to do something about it. And so we want to suffer without realizing what we're doing. We're suffering under the weight of our own self-hatred so we can punish ourselves enough so that we could then atone for our sins. So counselors get a hold of someone like us and they say, okay, you just need to learn to love yourself. Just love yourself. You just got to learn to love yourself. And you try to do it and you can't because you know that there are deeper things, there are more, there's deep things at work If all of this is real, if there is a God, then I've got to find a way to atone for my sins. So if I love myself, then I'm not atoning for these sins. So so, so you can't actually love yourself because you've got to keep punishing yourself over and over and over again. And i got to tell you, we're either falling in one of these two categories. Either we think we can do it, and so we try to do enough good stuff to make up for it, or we think we can't, and so we try to punish ourselves enough so that we could atone for our sins. We need rest. And we need rest from our constant striving to measure up to something we're never going to be able to measure up to. And we need rest from the weight of our own self-hatred. The Holy Spirit is finally getting, trying to get you to the point to finally admit how bad you are. And I want you to know it's tremendously freeing to finally admit that. You're like, I could have just stayed home for the Super Bowl. Why do I need to know how bad that I am? Listen, it's so important. Listen, the Spirit is telling you things that this world does not have the courage to tell you. 
The Spirit is telling you things that your spouse or significant other does not have the courage to tell you. The Spirit is telling you things that your parents and your friends do not have the courage to tell you. You are far worse than you know. And you say, well, gosh, you've been talking a year about how God is love. This does not sound at all like God is love. And I say, oh, my friend, listen, this is the most loving thing that the Spirit could do for you is to convict you of how bad you are. Because as soon as that happens, that is when you finally reach for a rescuer, and that is when you come to the point to where you finally believe that Christianity is true. That it's not just this intellectual exercise, but actually this is true because I need a rescuer. The Spirit is driving you to Christ. And here's what you find. You find a righteousness. This is our next part a righteousness that is not your own, but is another's, and he has given it to you. The Spirit lights up righteousness that is found outside of you. So when it says to be convicted of righteousness, this doesn't have anything to do about you establishing your own righteousness, but it has everything to do with somebody else establishing that righteousness for you. The word righteousness means to be made right. So you're being made right with God. The greatest gift that you could have is you get this present and you're like, okay, you open up this present and inside is this cloak of righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness that you put over yourself and then all of your sins are hidden. All the things that you have done wrong are hidden and all of Christ's beauty and perfection is covering you. And you just rest knowing that everything's been taken care of. It's been covered. You know what it means when it says that Jesus says, I'm going to the Father? He says, to convict you of righteousness, meaning that I'm going to the Father. Here's what that means. So you got to get this. So right there in that moment, Jesus, what stands before Jesus and the Father in that moment that he's speaking to the disciples? The cross. The cross is what stands between the Father and the Son. The cross is the Righteousness is a product of the cross. So here's what happens to the Christian. The Holy Spirit makes you feel the sting of sin. And you say, I can't bring anything to the table. You sit down at this table with God and you say, I can't, I bring nothing here. All that you can say is, God, have mercy on me. And then Jesus comes and he sits down at the table. And he says, everything that you have done wrong, I'm covering you. And everything that I have done right, I'm covering you with it. And so you, here, 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 that's the gift. Now hear this. Your sin is far worse than you have fathomed. And it's deeply offensive to God and it stirs in him this fury like a volcano that's erupting and the spirit's job is to give you this vivid picture of this and then you, you see it and you say God have mercy on me have mercy on me a sinner and then all of a sudden all of that fury it doesn't come at you. It goes right at Christ on the cross. 
And when you see that, when the Spirit really lets you see that, that's when you bow to Christ. That's when you start worshiping Him. So when um, I keep talking about seminary today, so when I was in seminary, um, I was in a class, and the professor was talking about Isaiah 53. So, so this happened to me in class. He's talking about Isaiah 53, um, and and I discovered this truth that I just said, like I never had before. And when that happened, something came alive in me that was not there before. So here's what happened. Isaiah 53 is all about this king who would be a suffering servant who would die in the place of his people. This is all pointing forward to Christ. And here's what happened to me. I saw in my heart the fury that God has for my sins. And then I saw how Christ drank up all of that fury on the cross in my place. And do you know what that did to me? That caused me to see the love that God had for me like I had never seen before because I saw the cost that my God was willing to pay to get me, to win me over. And, and it took everything inside of me not to stand up, to lift up my hands and start singing, which would have been completely awkward. But you know, in all honesty, when we really taste this truth, it will make us do awkward things because we start loving God for who he really is. I mean, we've all done weird things for love, okay? So you start worshiping someone, it's going to look a little bit weird and it's going to feel weird to you because everything in this world is saying, do not worship anything but yourself. You know, when, when we're singing, when you sing, like, do you get the sense of that? That God has done all of this for you? Is it drawing you into worship? And if it is, look, you don't have to be so timid when we sing these songs. Like, I know you're like, everybody's looking at me. I don't want to do anything that's going to be weird. But look, that's the mistake I made when I was in that class. Maybe I should have just started singing. It would have been super awkward, but maybe I should have just started singing. All, all I'm saying is that if this is true, why are we trying to hold it in? Why don't we just let it out? When someone says Jesus is a fantastic person and an awesome teacher, when someone says that, they're not getting it. Because Jesus is someone that you bow to. I don't, know, I don't know why it happens and why it happens when it happens. But when I'm up here and I'm preaching, I can look out at you and I can tell when the Spirit of God is at work in some of you. And I could see it especially if someone hasn't been to church in a while and, you know, they come and, and maybe they're a Christian, but they haven't been for a while. And then they hear this news about how the cross is satisfying all of this fury that God had over their sins. And yet God satisfies it through Christ on the cross and they get all the love and perfection that was meant for Christ goes on them and they get, they, they're brought into tears. I don't know why it happens when it happens, but I know this. It's the Spirit at work showing these realities to be true. And there's a mistake that I've made for the last year in standing up here. 
And the mistake that I have made is I've been striving, I've been working so hard to find the right words. When really, when really, what I need to be doing is just resting and knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work. And then when the striving for the words and knowing that the Spirit is at work and praying that the Spirit would show you these things, convict you of these things, when those two come together, that's when the magic happens. And not so much magic, but maybe greater than magic. What's really going on is the heavens open up and we begin to see the glory and the beauty and the worth of Christ. All the beauties what he's done for us become real. Not just information transfer, but real things that have happened for us. And what happens is this chasm between us and God where it feels like God is so distant, what happens is this chasm is wiped away and all of a sudden Christianity is no longer information anymore, but it's the things of heaven being told to us and it makes us want to worship. It makes us come alive. I mean, do you think God loves you? Okay, does it though, when you say, yes, God loves me, does his love for you bring you to tears? Because if it doesn't, you're missing it. When you see the cross, does it bring you into worship? Because if it doesn't, then you're missing the cross. If it doesn't make you say, Jesus, I'm yours, take my life, tell me how to live, tell me how to use, tell me how to use my bank account, tell me how to use my house, tell me how to use everything that I have for you. If it doesn't make you say that, then you're missing something in that moment. You've lost sight of what he's done for you. And when, when the cross becomes real, when it becomes real to you, the resurrection ushers eternity into you. When the cross becomes real, the resurrection ushers eternity into you. When it says of judgment, what it means is that there is this whole new world that's coming for us. And when it says of judgment, it says of judgment for the one who is the ruler of this world right now. So we don't really talk a lot about what the Bible calls Satan. We, we don't talk about that very much. But listen, he's the problem with this world. And we're like, wait, this is like, this isn't this stuff like the stuff of myths? Like, is this, is this real? The only thing I can say is let the Holy Spirit reveal these things to you. Because I can't do it. So here's what it means. When it says the ruler of this world will be judged, what it means is that one day evil's gonna be cast out of this world and this world is gonna be as it's meant to be. And the world as it's meant to be is where heaven and earth are woven together. And we do not live then as disembodied souls, but we live as people, body and soul woven together, running on this earth, living as we're meant to live. And every single one of our hopes and dreams have then come true. And if this is boring you, then this is something that the Holy Spirit is not revealing to you right now. Everything that you long for, what we say all the time is if there's, if there's desires in this world that are not being satisfied, that you have that aren't satisfied by this world, the only conclusion is that you're made for another world where all of your hopes, all of your dreams, all your desires are finally fulfilled. And this hope 
becomes real to us, and not just a concept, but it becomes real. And then we taste the sweetness of heaven even now by the Spirit. This is what the Spirit's doing. I think it's so easy, guys, listen, I think it's so easy for us to become numb to the idea of eternity. Like, we get so caught up in what's right before us that we're, our, our affections, our thoughts are not upon what is to come. And when eternity finally rests upon our heart, two things happen. We become less consumed by our problems. But then at the same time, we become more consumed by the problems of others. It's called love. It's what love is. So you say to yourself, my problems, here's what you say, in light of eternity, my problems are soon going to be gone. So I can just rest knowing that at, one, at some point, like, this goes away, all of these problems go away. But then at the same time, because an eternity of love has been ushered into you, you look at other people's problems, you look at the injustice that's happening to people, and you say, man, this is really bothering me. Because eternity has been ushered into you. So you rest from your problems, but then at the same time, you see other people's problems, you see injustice, and you want to go and love people and fix problems. You stop fighting for yourselves and you stop fighting for others. And if you aren't loving those around you well, it's because you need the Holy Spirit to come into you. And when an eternity of love has been ushered into you, when that happens, and you combine that with the words of love of Christ, the words of the love of Christ, that's when people are changed. We've been saying, okay, this is the year where we're inviting people in. This grove of love, we're going to invite people into it. And we want them then to see and to taste the realities of the good news of Jesus Christ come into the world. Now listen, I want to do this. I want to try this right now. I want you guys just to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would reveal these things to you. The things I'm about to say to you. Ask that the Holy Spirit reveal this. And if you're skeptical of this just right now, I just want to ask you to be open-minded that there is, that God has opened everything up and he can come into this world and he can reveal himself to you. Okay, so pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, reveal these things to me right now. Just pray that prayer. Okay, now listen. Picture you right now working, striving. You're exhausted trying to prove to God that you are good. And also picture you under the weight of your own self-hatred for the things that you have done that you know are wrong, that you are wrecking yourself over. And then, okay, remember, you're far worse than you realize and you can't fix these problems. Now I want you to picture a cross. And on that cross has your name on it. And that cross represents all of the fury of God. 
And as you're walking up to this cross that is yours, Jesus Christ comes and he takes you by the arm. And he says, no. He says, that cross is mine now. He puts you to the side and he crawls up onto that cross. And then in that moment, all of the fury that God has over sins is thrown upon him. All of it's satisfied, and he looks at you and he says, for you I've lived, for you I have died. You don't, I take an ocean of wrath so you can take an ocean of love. And then he says, in my rising from the grave, I have not only ushered in an eternity of love into you, but I have secured for you the world that you long for. This eternity of a world of love. Now guys, if, if we're skeptical of this, we need the Holy Spirit to show us this reality. And if we believe this is true, the thing we need most is the Holy Spirit to help us believe in this more because the more we believe in this, the more we are changed. Our biggest problem, listen, Christian, right now I'm talking to you, the biggest problem that we have is we are not sold out to this. We talked about this last week, praying this prayer to have faith like the disciples. We're scared of that prayer because we know that if we really have faith like the disciples had, like it's going to change everything about the way we live. And we don't want to change like that. Like that's, we want to change like maybe this much, but we don't like, we don't want to be fully changed. We're scared of what's going to happen if we are. And the Holy Spirit keeps pushing on us saying, no, it's worth it. Go all in. Stop holding back. All right, let's pray. God, we pray right now that you would reveal to us these things. Holy Spirit, we, we don't know how, it feels strange even to pray to you, the Holy Spirit, yet we're praying to you and we're asking you to show us the realities of these things. Help us to see truth the way we're meant to. Light up re the reality of this future hope that we have so we can take hold of it. Light up our sins so we know that we need a rescuer. And light up the righteousness that's given to us by Christ. Not that we've earned, but that's been given. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.